Well, Paul, as we mentioned at the start of the show, one of this country's most esteemed businessmen is uh, Colin Carter. But uh, whilst uh, sort of mapping out a decorated uh, business career, he's been there at some of the most important moments in the development of the modern AFL. He was there giving advice when the AFL started or the AFL competition started and what became national. He gave advice on salary cap, drafting. He was also involved in the development of the Great Southern Stand and I suppose it ages us all to think that that stand has now been <laughs> refurbished and in many ways uh, pulled down for the Shane Warne Stand. He's also uh, given advice in relation to the Tasmanian 19th Licence and been a chairman of Geelong. So there's nothing he hasn't done in AFL, but it's not the modern day he's written a book about. It's what happened way back in the 1870s when the VFA became the VFL. I'm delighted to say he's written the book, Football's Forgotten Years, and he's on the line to speak to us this morning. Morning, Colin. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Oh, delighted to have you on uh, with such a, a marvellous CV in the game. Uh, what uh, prompted you to go way back to 1870, Colin, to do this research, which in itself must have been difficult getting information? Well, I kept finding holes in the story, and probably the you know, one of many stories that I could tell is at some point... I had reason to be researching or finding out more about the life of Charles Brownlow, who's probably probably one of the most famous names in football history. And he's in the AFL Hall of Fame, but he's there as an administrator. And there's a bit of stuff in there talking about his record as an administrator, but nothing about a player. And so it was a bit of a shock to find that he was captain of Geelong's premiership side in 1883, playing in a six-team competition, and all six teams are still in the AFL today. And so... I started to think, gee, this, this is weird. Um, that surely has to be part of our history. And that took me on a journey and I found many more similar holes. So, Colin, the competition that started in 1870 with those six teams, who are they? Well, they're not the six teams. In fact, there are Melbourne and Carlton were there then, but there are some teams like um, um, South Yarra and Hobson's Bay. And progressively from 1870 onwards, the... Um, the teams that we know came in and others dropped out. And this is actually common with every football competition around the world. If you take, for example, the South Australian National Football League, which has its first year, 1877, there were eight teams that year, but only two of them survived today into the... Um, actually still exist today. And so that was pretty common, in fact. And one of the things that was remarkable about the early years of our competition is how many of those early teams are still with us. And Colin, 1897 is uh, considered, you say in your book, as uh, year one in uh, terms of the VFL and uh, you wanted to go back and uh, look at time before then. I mean, uh, what was your sort of uh, motivation for that? Do you think the records have to be completed? Um, uh, were people pushing you to try and get more premierships for their particular club as a result of what happened prior to 1897? Well, I've been attacked because that was a good year for Geelong. But uh, <laughs> no, the... <laughs> The motivation, in fact, you know, I happily wear that because at the end of the day, I want the evidence to um, to be... The, the important thing is that 1897 has, for the last 100 years, been regarded as year one for the AFL competition. Um, but what was staggering was to find that the VFL founders themselves, um, in the first two decades, three decades of the VFL, unambiguously regarded 1870 as their starting point. Hundreds of uh, listings of premiership lists all started in 1870, but the story changed in the 1920s. And so what's become very clear, it's not me rewriting history as I was originally accused. It is that the history, the history story did change. It changed in the 1920s 
about 30 years after the VFL was formed. And at that point, mention of 1870 completely disappeared from the records. And what's pretty clear now is it was a hostility between the VFL and a competition that exists no longer but was there for nearly 100 years called the Victorian Football Association was so toxic that the VFL dealt with the VFA by essentially writing them out of the record. Well, you were there, as I mentioned in the introduction, uh, when the AFL, the national competition, sort of uh, started. And uh, so you're saying there were similar sort of difficulties and ructions way back in that period of time between the VFA and the VFL. Yeah, and let me give a modern modern example. Uh, I, I was very interested always in the breakaway of the Premier League in England from the English mm. Football League in 1992. And I noticed recently that the Premier League has established a Hall of Fame and has inducted, I don't know, perhaps a dozen players now. But in the records in that Hall of Fame, they only include their games in the Premier League. So it means that some of the great football heroes like Alan Shearer, who played mm. for Newcastle, only his games in the Premier League are listed in there and his prior games for Newcastle in the English Football League just don't exist. And it's an example of how history can be changed if you say something and write it and say it often enough. Um, it happens. And so that looks to be the way the Premier League is essentially distancing itself from its prior history in the English Football League. And the same thing happened in, in the early years of our competition. So, Colin, as far as records are, can, are kept in individual stats is there a superstar that we have been unearthed from that part is there someone that kicked 100 goals a season three years running was there a, a player that was voted best and fairest for the competition a number of times is there anyone that stood out for you like that there are three really there's george coulthard was for carlton who was unambiguously regarded as the best player in the colony and he's been put into the afl Hall of Fame, but he was not credited with having played any games at all. There's another guy called Peter Burns who played over 300 games for South Melbourne and Geelong, but only about 80 of his games were played in the VFL years. 220 were played in the VFA years. So for a long time, he's been credited with only 80 games. Um, he should really be regarded as the AFL's first 300-game player. And possibly the best player of that era, an, an Essendon champion called Albert Thurgood, who um, played about 120 games, but up until recently, he was only credited with the 60 or so that he played in the VFL years, and his prior games were basically ignored. So, yeah, one of the tragedies is that some wonderful players from that era have been forgotten and ignored. Just in terms of the way the game was played, I don't know if you could uh, sort of discern that from your research, but was it much the same, uh, the fundamentals as of now, you know, in terms of rules, uh, size of grounds, crowds that came along? What, what was the game like during that VFA era? Well, well it was similar. Um, there, obviously, there have been constant rule changes. And I think, for example, even in the early VFL years, the way a game started was the two teams separated, as in rugby, and there was a kickoff, mm. and then they merged all over the ground. But Geoffrey Blaney, the great historian, has great interest in early hist football history, and he says that at least half the important rules which we see today in our game were formed before 1897. The use of an oval ball, the use of a cricket ground to play it on, um, um, the movement of the ball up and down, which has obviously changed a fair bit, but the, the basics were there then. Um, and, you know, talk about crowds. There were crowds at our games 
which were unheard of anywhere else in the world. Our clubs are the oldest in the world by a country mile, older than any English Premier League clubs. And there's a wonderful story in 1886 where Geelong and South Melbourne were playing off for the Premiership. And Melbourne had 390,000 people then, but the newspaper said that 34,000 people went to the game to watch it. Mm. And the South Melbourne supporters tried to derail the train coming from Geelong, which carried the Geelong team and the Geelong supporters. And when the South Melbourne team ran out on the ground, there was one guy in their team that nobody recognised, and it turned out that they had imported the best player from South Australia, a guy who played for Port Adelaide, to play in their team. So all the skullduggery yes. and the tribal rivalries were established in, in the 1870s and 1880s. And, and what people don't realise, Melbourne was the richest city in the world in that era, 1870s and 1880s, because of gold. And Blaney tells me that Melbourne was the first city in the world to get Saturday afternoon as a public holiday. Mm. And the combination of wealth and leisure, leisure time turbocharged the development of our game. Colin, you'd like to see these stats added to official records, but you said you've met a lot of opposition here. What's been the uh, the number one opposition that you've received? What's what's upset people that you that want these stats included? Well, I think um, Jeffrey Blaney told me once it takes a long time to get people to change their view of history, and I think I think at first I was regarded as a bit of an interloper, you know, coming in and. Um, and upending the, his, the history that everybody has subscribed to, and some and some people had vested interests in in fighting that. Other, some others, perhaps because their club wasn't going to be a great beneficiary, um, were opposing it. But I I think what's happened now is that it's it's absolutely irrefutable that the early VFL, the founders, the clubs, and the football media for the first 20 to 30 years of the VFL regarded 1870 as their starting point, and. Uh, so the argument in one sense is no longer with me. It's, I say to people, well, look at the record. You're arguing with them. And so I think that I'm starting to sense a shift in the way in which the argument is carried out. And, Colin, we can't uh, sort of let you come on without talking uh, a little bit more about the modern day. As I mentioned in the intro, you were there at the uh, formation of the uh, national competition. Um, does it look now how you envisaged it would look in the late 80s there? Uh, yeah, no, I, I think it's turned out. I mean, none of us foresaw the growth in television revenues, for example. Um, so the fact we've got a national game is absolutely right. I, I'm a firm believer in the Suns and the Giants. I think if we had woken up in 20 or 30 years and found that 14 of the 16 teams were south of the Murray, when more than half of Australia's population is north of the Murray, um, we'd regard ourselves as having lost the plot. And so... I'm a great believer in that. I, I um, Historically, I, th I think we'll see that there have probably always been too many clubs in Melbourne, but that was a consequence of the way the whole thing started. Um, now, I think the game's in pretty good shape. We're talking to Colin Carter, the author of Football, The Forgotten Years. It's a beautiful-looking book, Colin. Just looking at one of the, uh, the paintings here, done in 1888, and it's Queen Victoria's Jubilee, and it's just a painting of the uh, the stars of the day. And you, you made mention of the clubs here. Going through it, you've got Carlton and Essendon and Geelong and North Melbourne and St Kilda, <laughs> Footscray. They were all mentioned there. And, but Ballarat uh, had a couple of players as well. Ballarat was very strong back in those days, and uh, at the end of the day, the lack of a railway line between Melbourne and, and the goldfields meant that they couldn't participate regularly. But... No, the clubs were there, and I'll give you one stat which staggered me. In 1896, a year that no longer exists in our records, it's before the VFL stadium, in 1896 there were 13 teams 
in the competition that year, and 11 of them are still in the competition today. That, that's assuming Fitzroy is um, inherited their position by Brisbane. But uh, 11 of the 13 are still with us. And so how people can argue that that's not part of our history is that's a deep mystery. Uh, it looks like a great book. Colin, really appreciate your time this morning. The Forgotten Years, Football Forgotten Years from 1870 to 1896. Where can the listeners get a copy? Well, um, I can't talk for what's happening up in Brisbane, but in, in Melbourne, the good booksellers have got it and you can get it on Amazon as well. So, um, yeah, go for it. Oh, you should be able to find it easy. Colin, thanks for your time this morning. Good luck with the book. Thanks very much.